Smartcast. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The other area is, is making decisions with less than 100% information. And, and that's something that I do every day. It's something that we had to do during the pandemic. Uh, we went from manufacturing 100,000 units a year to manufacturing over a million a week. Hi, and welcome to Deep Leadership. I'm your host, John Rennie. Well, I hope all is well with you today. It is another beautiful day here in North Carolina, and this episode is brought to you by our sponsors, Ignite Management Services and Liberty Strength. These sponsors help me bring these shows to you each and every week, so I encourage you to click on their links below and check them out. Also wanted to remind you that the Qualified Leadership Book Series, which includes three of my best-selling leadership books, is now available on my website, johnsrenny.com. You get all three books for 15% off the Amazon and Barnes & Noble price, but this offer is only available on my website. This is the perfect way to get 2024 off to a powerful start, so check it out at johnsrenny.com. Well, that is it. Today we're going to be talking about biotech leadership, and my guest is Jeff Fisher. Jeff is a United States Marine Corps veteran who co-founded a biotech company. Now, we sat down and talked about the challenges of building a startup business in the complex world of biotechnology. This was a fascinating discussion with valuable lessons for leaders in any industry. I enjoyed this discussion, and I know you will as well. So are you ready to dive in? Let's get started. Welcome to Deep Leadership. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former Cold War submarine officer who spent 20 plus years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Are you ready for some real world actionable advice from John as well as his expert guests? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. The show starts right now. Welcome to the Deep Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Jeff Fisher. Jeff is the co-founder and president of Longhorn Vaccines and Diagnostics. Before starting Longhorn, he was an executive vice president and CFO in the biotech industry. He is a former infantry officer in the United States Marine Corps, and I am excited to have him on the show to learn more about his experiences in leadership in the biotech space. So, Jeff, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's good to meet you. Uh, First of all, Tell us what you do. What do you guys do at Longhorn Vaccines and Diagnostics? What's your mission and what are, what are you in business to do? So we're a commercial stage diagnostic company with a 
uh, sample collection technology uh, for molecular sample uh, testing. Uh, we were the original um, product in our category with the FDA and uh, sold about 70 million units uh, of that product during the, the pandemic. Uh, on top of that, we are also a uh, preclinical stage vaccine developer company working on universal influenza vaccines and universal influenza, universal coronavirus, uh, as well as a tuberculosis vaccine. All right. So <laughs> I got to ask you this. How did you get started <laughs> and why did you focus on infectious diseases? This seems like a very complicated uh, business, a very complicated scientific business. So tell us how you get started. Uh, I was actually not expecting to end up in this business. It's really kind of the family business. Uh, my father uh, was an Army pediatric infectious disease specialist who uh, had made a discovery uh, during his time in the service and was forced to start a biotech company. Uh, I went off into the Marine Corps out of college, went back after my time in the Marine Corps, got uh, an MBA at the University of Texas at Austin. Uh, and then he asked me to come join him to start his second biotech company. Uh, and so I did that. Uh, we, that was a traditional venture capital backed uh, biotech company. We took products into phase two testing and premature babies, and then we sold that company. And so when we sold that company, uh, we decided that we wanted to do something um, very challenging, and that was to develop products to be prepared for an influenza pandemic. This was in 2005, and we saw that there was, a, there was potential for uh, certain influenza viruses to, to become a pandemic strain. And so we started Longhorn Vaccines and Diagnostics to develop diagnostics uh, that would affect a pandemic as well as a universal influenza vaccine that might prevent a pandemic. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so, you know, what was your role in getting the company started? It doesn't sound like you were, you had the deep medical experience, maybe like your father, but um, what you know, what was your role? And, you know, you know, you being a Marine uh, infantry officer, how did that play into basically, you know, uh, you know, the leadership skills, the, uh, to be able to bring that team together and be able to accomplish your goals? A lot of what we needed uh, to do was to build a team and, and we needed to find the right people. We needed to set up um, the right facilities, give them the resources necessary to do what they needed to do, uh, give them direction, uh, and then allow them to do the work that they needed to do. And so uh, a lot of that was uh, my role on the business side uh, was to ensure that we set it up properly, uh, we had the right people in place, and then we were able to, to go off in a direction uh, that would uh, put us in a position to succeed. So when you talk about building a team, getting facilities, I mean, how do you find the right people to do something as, as difficult as what you were trying to accomplish? Are you looking for people with past experience in doing it? Are you, you know, I mean, it's kind of interesting because, you know, my, my, my company's in the, uh, you know, we make products for electric utilities. And so there is an industry there and there are, and, and it's sort of a small industry and we know the, the players. And so it was able to, it was eight, it was easy for me to be able to put together a capable team 
fairly quickly. Is it similar like that, that you know the people in the space or you know the type of experience you're looking for when you're putting together? Are you finding people from other small companies or are they coming from large companies? Where, how do you, how'd you build a team? Uh, well, we followed our network of people that we knew that we trusted uh, that could tell us who, who the people were that had the, the experience and maybe we're not on other people's radar. And so in our case, to start on the diagnostic side, uh, we found a, a very young um, PhD student uh, that was working as a contractor with the U.S. Air Force in San Antonio uh, that was doing a lot of the ex exact work we were doing. Uh, he was pretty uh, unknown to most of the people in the area, but he had a very specific background that we were looking for. And it turned out that they were closing uh, his unit and the base that he was staying, uh, that he was working at and, and moving it to Ohio. And, and he had a young family, didn't want to move. And so we're, instead of trying to move him, we went and set up a facility for him where he wanted to be uh, and then let him build a team. And we supported that so that he could really do the work that he needed to do. And then we, really kind of provided oversight as well as commercialization um, uh, background. And so uh, that led to our, our key product on the diagnostic side, our sample collection uh, technology. And so uh, that was really just the case of, of finding the right person, but not necessarily with the background uh, that people would have expected. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, and what, what, what it sounds like you did too was, you built the team around the person. You know, you found you found a key individual, uh, maybe uh, you know, not a traditional person in that, and 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 then you built a team around. It. It's kind of interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, how did it, it? It you know, we we talk to a lot of entrepreneurs, and one of the things that that you find is that every person is critical in the early startup team because it could represent twenty percent of your. You know, one person could be twenty percent of your workforce you know, in the beginning. So finding those. Uh, you know, needles in the haystack, these, you know, diamonds in the rough or people that have this potential is hard to do. Um, did you have a lot of people from the military in your initial team or, or just just so happens this this individual was? So initially, yes. Uh, one of our original team members was a, a retired two-star admiral. He was our operations officer. Um, and so we, we tended to look initially in the military or with people who had uh, a, a tie to the military. Uh, it's just what we kind of knew. And that has, has worked very well for us. Um, but we've also found great people through other means. Uh, and we've, by treating people well in previous companies, we've also been able to bring in people who worked with us in the, in the company we had before, come back and work with us and, and help us grow this company. And so my CFO uh, started with me uh, over 25 years ago and at a previous company, we've now brought her in uh, and or she came in pretty early and, and kind of grew up uh, as from being our accountant to being our CFO. Uh, another young woman who started off at our previous company as a lab assistant uh, is now runs our vaccine group. So sometimes it's a matter of going and finding the right person who has all the skills and has all the capabilities. And the other is is finding somebody who's just a hard worker, somebody who's who wants to to learn, um, and somebody who's 
going to be loyal and and provide what you need. And and so we've had the benefit of doing both. But you, you can't have enough smart people around you, and you can't have enough people that are willing to just put in whatever it takes. Yeah, yeah. Did you do you find yourself? I mean, now you're 17 years in. Do you find that um, the lessons you learned in the Marine Corps that you still apply every day? Are there certain things that you, you know, I mean, you know, you were in the military like, like as long, you know, essentially as long as I was, but I still, I'm like, I'm, you know, the things I learned under the ocean are, I apply every day. I'm just curious if there are certain things that you learned in the Marine Corps that are applicable to what you do daily. Absolutely. And I think giving people the ability to do their job is, is one thing. Um, not, not trying to, to overmanage. Uh, that, that's one of the things that I, I've hired great people and I let them do, do their job. And, and sometimes they're doing a job that should be, be my job, but they have a better relationship with the person. Uh, I've got, uh, one senior vice president that's closing a very large deal for us. Hopefully it's going to close tomorrow. Um, it's a deal that normally I would have had the relationship, I would have been the one who was in the middle of closing it. But uh, he has just built the relationship from the beginning and and has really maintained it. And he's the better person and for this project to to manage that. And and I give him full trust to get it closed. And I think that's one of the areas that I've learned in my time is that sometimes uh, it's not about your rank, it's not about your title, it's it's about the job and and that you're the right person to do it, or there's somebody else in the organization that's the right person to do it. Um, the other area is, is making decisions with less than 100% information. And, and that's something that I do every day. It's something that we had to do during the pandemic. Uh, we went from manufacturing 100,000 units a year to manufacturing over a million a week. Uh, <laughs> that was all done at a time where we couldn't travel. We, uh, we couldn't really go visit sites. We were adding manufacturers. We were really doing a lot of things sight unseen. And we knew that certain things weren't going to work, but we knew we didn't have a choice but to move forward, be aggressive, uh, do things uh, with the information we had. And when the information changed, then we modified them. Uh, Some suppliers didn't last very long. Others became crucial suppliers. And I think that that was part of of what I learned in in the Marine Corps was you never have all the information and by the time you do it's already changed. Yeah, that's a, that's a really important lesson. That's one of the things I talk about, especially in a, at least for me as a startup company. You know, speed was important. Um, you know, momentum was important. You know, you never we never had all the facts. We never had all the details. But we, you know, to me it was always like. We need to get to the next level. We need to get manufacturing. We got to get the products designed. We got to get the manufacturing set up. We need to get our first customer. We got to get to the trade shows. It was like, you know, maybe it wasn't perfect uh, when we got to the trade show, but we learned some things at the trade show that we were able to correct. And so I've always believed that momentum and speed, especially in a startup, are critical uh, to, to your success is you've got to keep moving. And uh, that's something that we've done. And, and the other thing too is like, especially what we found in COVID, during the COVID was that the big companies can't move as fast as us being a smaller company. So our our agility actually was an advantage uh, when 
the wind shifted, you know, when the, when, you know, the conditions on the ground changed, our speed was something we could use that, that helped us grow our business. So, uh, yeah, so I think you're right. That's part, something I learned in the military too, is that you never sort of have all the information. You have 90% or 60%, you have to make a decision. Right. And I think the other side of that is making sure your people are giving you all the information they have as quickly as they have it, um, whether they think it's either applicable or whether they think it's it's something you want to hear. And I think that, that as a decision maker, as a leader, you have to hear the good and the bad, because sometimes what your people think is, is bad news is the exact piece that you need to make a decision. Um, and, and sometimes pulling back and, and reassessing based on information. Uh, is crucial to the next stage. And uh, I think that making sure that people realize that when you come to them with information that they may not think you want to hear, uh, that that you accept it and, and it's not an opportunity to take it out on them. Uh, it, it's just information. It's not, it's not necessarily good or bad, but it, it's part of the puzzle. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. As a leader, you're responsible for the mission and the people assigned to you. Regardless of the size of your team, employees are depending on you for their lives and careers. For the sake of your team and the people who entrust you with this role, you need to master the skills to become a great leader. Best-selling leadership author John Rennie is proud to introduce the Qualified Leadership Book Series. This new series teaches you how to become a people-centered leader. Great leaders know that employees who are respected, appreciated, and allowed to grow will go the extra mile. These books provide real-world leadership wisdom written from a hands-on perspective. If you want to be a more effective leader, this is the one book series you should read this year. This three-book series contains the following best-selling leadership books. I Have the Watch, You Have the Watch, and All in the Same Boat for one low price of $39.99. Begin your journey to become a leader worth following. Go to johnsrenny.com and get your order in today. This episode is brought to you by Ignite Management Services. Ignite is led by Mike Watson, who you might remember from episode 137. Mike and his team believe that everything starts with leadership, whether it's strategy execution or cultural transformation. It's the role of the leader to create the conditions for their people to succeed. The team at Ignite can help you develop critical habits to enhance your leadership capability and transform your business. Ignite Management is now offering the Resilient Leadership Assessment Tool, This is an online questionnaire designed to assess and guide leadership development, coaching, and team building. It provides leaders an opportunity to gain insights into their leadership strengths and development needs. After taking this assessment, you will receive a custom detailed report that provides practical and actionable recommendations to enhance your effectiveness. I have taken this assessment myself and found it to be extremely valuable in helping me make changes to my leadership approach. Right now, Ignite is offering 15% off the price of this tool to the deep leadership audience. Go to ignitemanagement.ca and enter the code START15 at checkout to get started today. This episode is brought to you by Jeremy Clevenger at Liberty Strength. As a high-performing leader, you know that leadership isn't about telling people what to do. It's about leading by example. And for most people, the one area that they are lacking when it comes to leading by example is their health and fitness. 
By improving your health and fitness, every other area of your life improves. Your energy skyrockets, your sleep improves, your confidence increases, and more. But how can you get and stay fit as a busy leader? Well, you do what you've always done. You hire the best people for the job. Don't struggle on your own. Put Liberty Strength in your corner. Jeremy and his team will work with you to take your physique, mindset, nutritional habits, and more to the next level with his step-by-step, all-inclusive coaching program. I've worked with Liberty Strength for the past two years, and I'm in the best shape of my life, and I'm still hitting strength personal records at 56 years old. If you want to step up your game, reach out to Jeremy at LibertyStrengthTX.com to find out more and get your initial consultation scheduled with him today. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah, that makes sense. Don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> but we were, I had a guest on uh, my last guest. We were talking about, uh, you know, being a good news company. And there's a problem with that where everyone's just bringing good news. And, you know, as a leader, you want all the news. I don't need just the good news. I need all the news. If it's bad news, do you need to tell me? Because <laughs> I need to know that. That needs to be part of my, uh, in the equation when I'm making a decision. So, yeah, I think that uh, we can, the idea of not shooting the messenger is really critical to make sure that you have an environment where people do bring that bad news to you. Yeah, there's, um, there's a great saying that uh, bad news is not like wine. It does not get better with age. No, not at all. Not at all. Absolutely. Yeah, we, yeah, we, I use a similar analogy with on a submarine. We, when there was a fire, we ran towards the fire because fires only get bigger. So you've got to get there and put it out before it gets bigger and can hurt your business. Same thing with any problem in a business. You need to attack it when it's small. Otherwise you, you're, you're in trouble for sure. So um, you mentioned uh, the, the, the pandemic, COVID-19 pandemic. You've had to take your business from a hundred thousand uh, a year in terms of production to a million a week. How do you do that? What's and what are some lessons you've learned through that whole process? Uh, it's good to have a good team when the process starts um, because you really do have to lean on people. You have to let them do their job. Uh, you you have to uh, you have to be willing to accept that, again, that decisions that are made by others may not be the best decisions, but that uh, that they need to be made. Um, one thing I learned uh, about a mistake that I made was you, you also have to see how uh, how the stress is affecting everybody on the team and, and how they're interacting with each other. Uh, I allowed some friction between two employees to last a little too long. Uh, and fortunately, my CFO uh, kind of 
knocked me over the head and said, Hey, you've got to be on this. This is not just two, two brothers fighting. This is, this is a legitimate thing. And so it was something that, that I wish I had been on earlier because I think it did some long-term damage. But, um, you know, I think that when you have everybody on the same page and moving forward, it's amazing what a small team can do. I, I really had four people around me managing that ramp up and, uh, we were everything from from building product to shipping product uh, to managing vendors to getting paid. It was really a, a very small team working really around the clock every day of the week, and and it was uh, it was really fun to fun to watch, and it, it really did feel like I was back in the military where uh, everybody was just really had one mission and was was out to accomplish it. People were giving up really their entire family life uh, to, to do what we needed to do. And it was important for the company, but it was also important for the country because we were shipping out needed product on a daily basis um, with states and, and the federal government calling us and just asking for more, you know, every day. And, and I think it was, uh, it, it was great to look back. And, and other than that one instance, uh, you know, we, we were always kind of a family, but I think we became even tighter afterwards. That's just kind of the question I was going to ask you is, you know, I found that when you go through times like that, you really bond as a team. And I was going to ask you that. Did you, did you guys come together as a team? Is that some, you know, I think when we, the same thing in the military, when you, when you go through a tough time or an exciting time or a, a big change and you share this common experience with a group of people, you have this bond that's like, you know, like, you like, oh, we remember that. You remember we went through that together. You know, it's 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 something that we, you like, you know, I'll see a guy that I served on, you know, back in back in the Navy. And it's like we haven't left. Like we we went through these tough times together and we just have this bond that it's a connection. Do you feel that way with your team having gone through that major shift? Absolutely. I mean, they are, uh, you know, they're people that will be a part of my life uh, forever. Uh, and I think that that's uh, it just the things that they did that impressed me, uh, on a day-to-day basis. Uh, and you know, none of the people that work for me went to schools with, with big titles and, uh, they're all people that are just really good at what they do. And I think that's one of the things that I take pride in much again, like my Marine Corps time, uh, you know, when you're going about doing something hard. Nobody looks around and says, well, where did you go to school? It's, it's, you know, what, what are you bringing to the table at, at that moment? And that's, that's what my team really does. I think one of the challenges that I'm facing now, and I, and I really have worked hard at is with some of the new uh, executives that we brought in, making sure that, that because they weren't there during that time, that, that they don't feel like they're outside of the team. Yeah, yeah. Being in new people after an issue like that, after a time. And that was something I did learn in the Marine Corps because you'd go on deployment uh, and you'd have those moments and then you'd come back and people would leave and you'd get new people and you had to rebuild the team and you had to make sure yeah. you weren't spending all your time talking about uh, everything that had happened in the, you know, the year before, um, but that you were rebuilding a lot of that teamwork. And um, and so I've had the, the great pleasure of bringing on two great executives uh, since the pandemic, and um, they've really integrated well. And I think part of that is making sure that uh, that they don't feel that if you weren't part of the big battle of, of COVID, that uh, that you're any lesser member of the team. 
That's a really important point. That's a great, um, great point you bring up. Because I know, same thing, every time we come back from a deployment, we'd have 20 to 20 to 25% of the crew would rotate out and get all new people, right? And so, you know, they didn't know the jokes. They didn't know the stories. They didn't know the, you know, the the things that went wrong on that last deployment, you know? And so, but no, we didn't leave them out. You know, they sort of became, they just became part of the new family. And I, and I think that's important too, is that when you do have new people come on board after an experience like that, that you don't get clicky. You don't have this one group of employees that, well, you, you know, you don't have the, uh, you don't have this ribbon from that deployment, you know, where we all got shot at or whatever. But I think that's a really important point that you have to, to integrate the next crew. So you just make sure that they feel part of the family as well. Yeah. And, and I think that I've, I've been pleased with the rest of my team for doing, for being great at that as well. Um, I, yeah. I, that, you know, it, it's certainly easy as the president to say, Hey, I need this person here. I need that person there. Um, but sometimes bringing in new people makes people feel maybe you're taking something away from them or stepping on their toes or, or questioning whether they can handle something, especially considering what they were handling during the pandemic. Um, but I think it's more about, expanding the capabilities and and making sure that uh, that we're able to do more and and so I've been very pleased that that the team I have is has been really accepting of that and and brought and done as much for the new executives as uh, as as I've wanted them and and hope that they would oh, that's fantastic so I have to ask you you mentioned that you're working on a universal vaccine or universal flu vaccine if I maybe I said that wrong but Oh, that's correct. Yeah, tell us what that is and and why it's essential uh, to have uh, in in our arsenal against the, these infectious diseases. Well, some pathogens are if you find the right target, uh, they don't really mutate. So if you find the right target, uh, you you kind of create a universal uh, vaccine. Whether it's it's shingles, whether it's uh, the new RSV vaccines. Uh, but some pathogens, as we've seen with with coronavirus, and as we've all known for a long time with influenza, uh, is constantly mutating and moving away. And so the previous strategy has been to chase the virus, to to try and get a vaccine as close to the currently circulating strains uh, of the virus. Uh, what we wanted to do was was find a vaccine that would cover all of the viruses and and not allow the virus to mutate away from it. Allow us to put the vaccine in in advance and then last for years. Uh, and therefore, uh, it needed to, to be very comprehensive. And so what we've done is we've looked at thousands of sequences of, of influenza viruses, and we've done the same now with coronaviruses, and find not just one, but multiple areas that don't seem to change, but seem to be extremely important to the virus. In the case of influenza, uh, we realized it was such a difficult virus. We needed to go after the virus in every stage of its life cycle. So we go after it when it enters the body. We go after it when it tries to enter the cell. Um, we then go after it while it's in the cell trying to replicate. And then we go after it when it's trying to leave the cell um, to move on to the next um to the next set of cells. And so we feel like that for a virus uh, such as influenza, and now what we're seeing with coronavirus, 
it's just important to really target it with uh, as many different approaches. It, it's very similar to a, a military approach uh, where you're targeting it uh, directly with direct fire. You're bringing in uh, indirect fire from uh, naval gunfire, air, air attacks. Um, you know, you, you want to constantly keep the pressure uh, on what you're trying to destroy. And so in that case, that's our approach. And we built uh, a new technology called composite peptide vaccines, which allows us to take pieces of, of the virus that we want to attack and string them together in unique ways, uh, and then put other components that stimulate the immune system in different ways to, to allow the body to attack the virus in every way that it can, and just not give it that chance to mutate. Well, that makes a, sen- makes a lot of sense, and it's, it's, but it sounds like it's a uh, difficult work. I mean, it, uh, <laughs> oh, but the, you know, the payback is huge if you can do it, right? Uh, it is, and and it's a it's a great opportunity for really a greater society because you know one of the challenges for vaccinating the country, vaccinating the world, is that there's the cost of the vaccine itself, but then there's the cost of delivering that vaccine, and so if you can have a vaccine, one that works very well, but two doesn't have to be delivered every year, you you create great opportunity. Uh, to provide it to people of all different socioeconomic backgrounds and and really all over the world. Uh, I think trying to vaccinate the world every year with the same vaccines uh, is, is just really a losing battle uh, financially and and really trying to get people comfortable with with vaccine technology. And so we hope that by taking this approach, and building a very powerful uh, vaccine uh, that we can get people fully vaccinated, not just in the developed world, but really all over in the developing world as well. Yeah, that sounds good. I know, you know, being 56 years old myself, I mean, vaccines were like essential, you know, polio and chicken pox. Or, well, I don't know if it's chicken pox, but there was, there was a bunch that you would get, like, you know, kind of coming up. And, uh, you know, but we didn't have the day, the, the annual one, you know, that wasn't a big thing back then, but it seems like more and more you see these annual um, shots. And I think you're right. If we can, you know, one and done it uh, and, and, and vaccinate you, I think, I think people will be more, uh, you know, open to getting that, you know, if it's effective and it's a one and done kind of thing versus an every year, you know, type of situation, I think people are going to be more would be less hesitant to to take that on board. I, I think the the shingles vaccine that GlaxoSmithKline developed is a great example of that. It's uh, you you get two shots first year six months apart, and then you don't get it again for ten plus years, and it has a ninety five percent effect is uh, efficacy rate. So that's what we're striving for. What we want to do is is have people want. Our vaccine. They shouldn't need to be pushed to get our vaccine. They should see the value in it, what what it does for their health, what it does for their life, uh, and, and really want to get it. Want to tell their relatives, as I do with the shingles vaccine. I, everybody that I know, I'm I'm 54. When you turn 50, uh, they they suggest the shingles vaccine. I suggest it to to everybody that I know who's who's over 50. 
my wife had shingles. It's a terrible disease. And there's a vaccine that prevents it very effectively and does it for a long period of time. And I think that's that's the model we're hoping to build. That makes a lot of sense. That's great. Uh, tell us a little bit about the work that you did uh, or you're doing for preventing tuberculosis worldwide. We started working with tuberculosis on the diagnostic side about a decade ago. Um, our sample collection technology makes the detection of TB uh, much more sensitive and it makes it safer uh, for transferring samples. And so that led us to think, well, our technology on the vaccine side uh, really could be used uh, on the TB side as well. And so we started looking for targets uh, for TB and, and we found a, a really uh, good target called uh, the, the heat shock uh, protein. And we've done some work with it. We've published some results and, and we're starting to get some, some interest from, uh, from some government agencies as well as from some, uh, some philanthropic groups about moving that forward. Um, tuberculosis is very tough on it for a number of reasons. One, it's, uh, it's endemic in the developing world. So, but it's not really a, a problem in the developed world, uh, though in Europe, they're, they're seeing more and more of it. And as we have immigrants coming into the U.S. at a greater rate, it's, it's showing up more and more uh, in big cities here in the United States. But a vaccine to prevent TB is, is a very hard uh, one to show efficacy for because you may, it may take 10, 15 years from the time somebody was previously exposed until they start showing symptoms. And so we think that there are some approaches on the treatment side using the antibodies that the vaccine generates to, to be act somewhat as a surrogate for how the vaccine will protect. And so we, we see some opportunities. And again, we're having some, some early discussions with some, some very significant uh, philanthropic organizations that, that may be interested in funding a lot of that work. Um, really, for our viewpoint, that is almost a, a, a charitable uh, project that we're working on as well, because uh, it, it's really going to be mostly um, benefiting the developing world. That makes a lot of sense. Wow. This has been a fantastic discussion. Again, it's, it's a subject I know little about, <laughs> but... Um, you know, again, uh, the part of that's interesting to me too is the is the leadership aspect and what you've learned uh, through this process and how you've been able to, you know, bring your team together, do some incredible things. And so, my hats off to you. I mean, it's like, it's hard work, and you guys have been very successful. And uh, so, you know, my congratulations on your success, and I wish you more of it because we certainly do need to tackle things like TB. Uh, and so, your work is essential to that. So. Um, I was going to ask you, what final message would you like to leave with our listeners right now? Well, at first, I'd like to thank you again for for inviting me on. Um, I think uh, my view is on leadership is that if you hire great people and you give them the resources and and get out of their way, uh, they can do great things and they can make you look a lot smarter than you probably are. Uh, so I, I, my goal is always to to have. Uh, the smartest people on my team, uh, the most uh, dedicated people on my team, uh, and then uh, just get out of their way. Fantastic. That's great advice. Listeners, uh, hire great people, get out of their way. 
I think it's a fantastic way to end this. Uh, how can listeners find out more about you and your company? Uh, you can come to our website uh, at www.lhnbd.com. Uh, additionally, uh, if you're of the scientific uh, bent, you can. Uh, there's a lot of publications we uh, spend a lot of time publishing. So, uh, looking up Longhorn uh, in the uh, in PubMed or or, or doing a Google, Google Scholar sh uh, search uh, on our products. Uh, I think that uh, there's a lot of great work there. We we believe in that publishing and peer-reviewed science is, uh, is really the, the best marketing out there. Well, fantastic. We're going to go ahead and put a link in the show notes for uh, your company. So listeners, if you're interested, if this is uh, somehow, um, you know, sparked your interest, you can go to the website. A lot of good information on there. I've been on there. Um, so I, you know, encourage you to check it out, check out his company, check out the work they're doing. Again, this is essential work they're doing. It's going to help people live longer, be, uh, live a more healthy life. And, uh, and Jeff, I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your experiences and the things that you learned through this process. Thank you again for your time. And, uh, and I really appreciate, uh, you having me on. Well, thanks again. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share so we can continue to build a world with better bosses. Until next time, this is John Rennie saying take care and lead well. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all you do. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more information and updates, please visit our website at www.deepleadershippodcast.com or johnsrenny.com. Until next time, take care. Hey there, I'm DC. I host the Rock Podcast, Back to the Arena, the Interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast where I talk one-on-one -on -one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock fan like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, the interview. Electric Acid. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an Electric Cast production.